Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. The next two segments, this one and the next one, is probably the best time. We're doing a lot of interviews in the 10 o'clock hour. So if you want to call now and the next time segment is the best time to Give us a ring as we are one week away. A week from today is the NFL draft. And I think I'm more confused. Well, in some ways, I'm more confused than ever. And in other ways, um, you know, kind of starting to get some pretty strong opinions about what I'm going to go with for certain teams. And um, the problem is the top is... I'm I'm really it's all about the filter. It's all about weeding out what guesses you believe, what speculation you don't believe. And that's tough because it's all speculation. I mean, I guess, you know, it's it I think most people are really kind of buying this Bryce Young go number 1 overall thing, so I'm kind of trusting that for now. But I'm all, but the, you know, the whole Texans are not going to take a quarterback thing. Could be a smokescreen. Absolutely, it could be a smokescreen. But I kind of asked myself at the beginning, D'Amico Ryan's is a defensive guy. The best players in this draft are defensive guys. So is he going to pass on an elite defensive player as a defensive-minded young head coach? I asked myself that from the beginning. And especially when he has a first-round pick 10 picks later. So I kind of believe this thing that the Texans might not pick a quarterback at two. Which, again, if you get that wrong, then, oh, man, it's a mess. Trying to figure out a mock draft is just a mess after that. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Kevin. Yes, sir. My head's spinning, man. I'm I'm like you. I'm more confused than ever because, you know, last year everybody said, you know, we're taking the tackle, we're taking the tackle. You know, we took took, the big boy. Last year was chalk. You're taking a defensive tackle. But my thing is, man, why why are you going to take a guy at 29 when you can get him or another guy at just like him or at 40? I I think they, man, I'd love to say they're going to trade back, but we know they're not trading back. No. And then I saw this crazy mock draft. But it was actually the entire 31 pick that people traded, everybody traded. Then they said, thanks for the defensive tackle, so they're going all the way and they're going to get the big part from Georgia. Oh, come Man. on. I, I, yeah, I think it was just a, it's just a fun thing, you know. But I just keep going back to 
why would you draft at 29 when you can basically get – you might get the same guy at 40. If, if we're talking defensive tackle, you know, if you can get the same guy at 40 or, you know, his twin brother. I mean, he arguably the exact same player. Okay, okay, let me ask you this. First of all, the first question, and none of us know the answer. Like, I'm going to ask Luke this question at 10 o'clock, and and he's not going to know. He's going to guess based on whatever information he has and impressions. That's all we can do. But the first question is, are the Saints open? Have they changed their philosophy? Do they want a finesse defensive edge rusher? Or yeah. they have never had that ever, ever. So, never. so um, are they going to uh, go uh, against what they've done forever? Because even if Nolan Smith is gone, the other pick that I've been pushing off that I, that I, that it hit me, you know, since yesterday's show that we got to at least start considering. And I think we've brought him up a few times. Is Will McDonald like he yeah, and I've seen him a couple of times. But man, I, yeah. I, I, first of all, I don't believe they're going to change it, but we don't know that because uh, you know we just we, we don't know they, they never had that guy, and is that guy good enough it, to go with in the first round? Could, it's again, just so is, is hit or miss. I mean, yeah. you know, they were talking last hour about boomer bus. I don't consider tied in a boomer bus position at all. At all, well, I, it's a weight or bust position because there is no boom. No one ever booms as a tight end ever in the history well, of the NFL. No I mean, one they, ever. All booms. the great tight ends right now weren't drafted. You know, they, they yeah, no drafted. one ever booms as a tight end yeah. in the first year. Yeah. That that just doesn't what, happen. So, but but Edge is a boomer bust. Like the guy oh, could make no a great doubt. impact, or he could be a total bust. I mean, I, I just correct, correct, no yeah. doubt. You know, you know, the good thing I love about Luke Jackson is. He thinks a lot like us, Kevin. He the three positions that he says he never would go with in the first round: tight end, off ball linebacker, and wide receiver. Wait, who said that? Go with those guys in the first round. Who said that? Because you know, once again, you know, tight end takes so long. Wide receivers, you can get so much production later on in the draft. And off-ball linebackers just, once again, too risky. It's, you know, those guys are not great impact guys. For the most part, three-down guys. It's hard to find a three-down guy. So, I like his thinking. It's just, you know, we, Kevin, we can just speculate. But, boy, it's fun. But Kevin, is so Oh, no, it, 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 it's it's fascinating to me, but it, it drives me crazy at the same time. So, it, so it, would you, it, would you, you are you saying yes or no to Will McDonald? I don't. He just doesn't move the, doesn't move the meter for me, Kevin. I don't know. I, man, I'll just tell you this, Kevin. If I could go back in my career and knew what I know now, I'd try to be one of these uh, draft gurus. Man, I don't know how exactly <laughs> you get to be one. But, boy, I could spend my days <laughs> yes. talking about this and looking at this all day long. It, 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 it just occupies no, listen, it's it's it, it is always fascinating. There's so many people, NFL fans that don't even care. They don't even know the draft is happening. Yeah, it's like crazy sister, to me. You know, my sister loves to say season tickets. I try to talk to you about the draft. Nah, 
I mean, you know, she. No, it's the same thing. I got a wife and daughter, the same thing. They watch every Bronco game they can. They get into it, but they don't care anything about the draft. It's crazy. It's crazy. Thank you for the call. I'm waiting for Luke. Waiting to listen to Luke. All right. It's, um, again, I think I I would prefer Will McDonald to Ojolari, but I just, I just don't, I I don't trust those. I got to start an argument about tight end with you because I, I think the idea, look, do tight ends come in and, and have tremendously productive rookie of the year type rookie no, seasons? No, never happens. No. But Ever. does it take five years for these guys to play well? No. Look at the – I pulled up mm, – I got I think four year examples. three. I think year three. I think year two is better is a better gauge, and I'll give you four prime examples right now. Mark Andrews, who I think is the best comp for Michael Mayer, by the way. They're, they're athletic – Attributes coming out are basically identical. Mayer was more productive. Mark Andrews had 34 catches for 552 yards in his rookie season. Not a bad year at all. Not a you know booming out. His second year, he caught 64 passes, 852 yards, and 10 touchdowns. That's year two for Mark Andrews. TJ Hawkinson, his second year, he caught 67 balls for 723 yards and six touchdowns. Oh no, I don't. I don't doubt. I'm not saying that it's it's. First of all, I love tight end. It's my favorite position on the whole field. But the chance of getting a tight end that are going to produce right away is almost nil. It's almost nil. But it's not going to happen. I'm saying year two. I and if I get a guy in right Michael now, Mayer, I can't, who I, I can't think, wait for year two. I can wait for year two because you have another pick at forty. You have a pick eleven picks later. You can get the guy who's going to impact you right now. And again, for me, it's not tight end as a position. It's that guy, and that's what I kind of stressed in the first show. It's that guy, Mayer. I think he's a difference maker. Jimmy Graham, the Saints' last, you know, dynamic, great tight end. His second season, he caught 99 balls for 1,310 right. yards. His first season, touchdowns. he did nothing. He still had, he still contributed. He had 356 receiving yards. I'm saying, I'm just saying, it takes a while. Your rookie year is basically like a redshirt year, right? I, I don't want a redshirt in the first round right now. I'm the last two years have been too mentally yeah. excruciating. That's fine, but I'm telling you. I think you're getting a better player at the spot if you take that guy as opposed to taking a defensive. And I'm kind of with Manny in a lot of this. There's a lot of guys that are going to be there at 29. Because, again, like the first round, and I don't know if I've explained this, my feelings on this, the 29th pick is not really a first-round pick anyway. Well, I get that. So 29 and 40, you have two of them. I'm okay with using one of them on the tight end. But... Again, I, I, I just don't want to pick a tie because the other reason why not to do it is I get the point about you're, you're potentially you're picking the, maybe the top tight end in the draft, but the fifth tight end is pretty rated pretty high this year, and the sixth tight end is rated pretty high this year. So it is a, it's a pretty good tight end, well, a really good tight end draft. So why pick one in the first round unless your grade is just through the roof? But again, even a through the roof grade, that guy's not gonna. He's only he's gonna have a marginal impact his rookie year, marginal, at best. And how marginal was the impact of Peyton Turner and Marcus Davenport in their first years? Would be my other counter to that. Exactly, nothing. Exactly, right. but that's my. That's why I'm. But I, that's I just an edge rusher, which is the position you're really looking I, at. I, I don't. I don't really want. Well, I don't trust edge rushers. So what do you? So I guess this is why you came in saying you're so confused, because I'm not want, hearing what you want. I, well, again, what we again we have no idea if the Saints even want an edge rusher. Like we're guessing on that. 
and the whole tight end, I, I think I think the Saints are fine at tight end. I know most people disagree with me. I think they're fine at tight end. I, I think Jawan is I th- is going to be an above average receiving tight end with, 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 with a legitimate quarterback, and maybe even better than above. I average. think they're fine everywhere, though. That's my other reason I'm willing to take the tight end. I don't think there's a glaring hole that I go. You got to get a guy at that spot. I want a guy who can impact the pass rush, but I can take it at forty. But I don't see any position in particular. So, in my opinion, now, I think this, and that's what I told RP3, I think the whole conversation is moot because I think Mayer's gone way before 29 anyway. But if he was sitting there at 29... Some people are high on Kincaid. I think if he's sitting there at 29, he's the best player on the board, and therefore, I think the Saints, they've done so much work to be able to take the best player on the board, where so many years they couldn't do that. I think this year they can. Um... I just, again, I think the running back tight end positions are going to be fascinating because I think there are really good players, but it's just not a position that most teams believe in taking. So I just don't know how many teams are going to say, okay, we're going to throw out what we've always believed in and we're going to pick these guys. Scary. I'm telling you, the the closer we get, the more I hope Brian Branch falls because they've the more I hope Brian Branch falls. Take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline 706-0111. We're talking a lot about the draft, and certainly we're going to be doing a lot of that over the next week. We've kind of done it here and there over the last few months, but I do want to comment about last night's Astro game. That was wacky. That was a wacky game. Through the whole game, I'm like, these two runs are not going to stand. I kept saying, these two runs are not going to stand. These two runs are not this. I do not feel good about this at all. I kept saying it over and over again. They So they take out Garcia, who pitches fabulous. Um, maybe the best start of the season so far. They bring in Montero. He faces four batters, doesn't, give any, doesn't get any amount. The bases are loaded. It's two to one. The bases are loaded, and Springer, Bachet, and Guerrero were coming up. And I'm like, we're in deep trouble, like deep trouble. And they got really lucky because the 3-2 pitch, Springer crushes, but it's right at um, Bregman, and they get the out. Then he strikes out Bachet. They bring on Brian Abreu, strikes out Bachet, and has a, I don't know, eight or nine pitch at bat with Guerrero, and he finally got him to fly out to center field. Then in the bottom of the eighth, there's two outs and nobody on. Two outs and nobody on, and you're still only up two to one. And they score 
six runs with two outs and nobody on. So in the first game for the fir- in the first inning of this three game series against the Blue Jays, the Astros scored seven runs. In their last at bat, they scored six runs. Unbelievable against the Blue Jays. Now, you know, to me, the Astros' schedule so far hasn't been all that rough. But if you look at it. The other than the, they are about to play the Rays next week, but other than the Rays, the Blue Jays have about as good many wins as anybody else in the American League, and the Pirates, the Pirates have twelve wins. They won again last night, and they just crushing people. The Pirates. So the Astros' two series wins are against two teams that you know are doing so well, well so far. So anyway, the good thing is El Pedro played did fine. Icky played did fine. All that little injury scare from the day before meant nothing, and. Uh, all, all things are good. Although, like I told Raymond, I noticed what the Braves did. They scored zero runs yesterday right before they played the Astros. I hate when that happens. And by the way, the Astros still have not lost a game on a getaway date since early August. I think it's 21 in a row on getaway day. Unbelievable. Try not to – I should stop saying that so the Piper doesn't notice. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Man, I hate to bring you back to the uh... – the draft. Oh, man. never but hate that. Think, never hate that. Go ahead. <laughs> do you think uh, Jimmy Graham would have had a, a different rookie season had Jeremy Shockey not been there? Well, like, do you think he would have been more productive? Um, maybe, but but again, Hall of Fame tight ends. Very most of them don't do anything their first year, and a lot of them not even in their second year. Like Travis Kelsey didn't do anything his rookie year. It it, it it's just. It's just hard because it's the second hardest position to make an impact immediately other than quarterback because you're having to to learn two totally different facets of the game, and most other um, positions just don't do that. Right. Yeah, I was just wondering because I know, like, Shockey had most of the receptions, and then, you know, that next year he was gone, and then Jimmy just, like, really exploded. I don't know if maybe that was something – it, like in his rookie season, if he had just really, you know, bloomed pretty quickly or not, I don't think so. But I guess you know that's something. It's all speculation. But 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 Jimmy was was a project, and so I I just I don't think that he would have picked up the blocking part that quickly. No. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. And again, it's a complicated conversation because I love tight end. I just. I just well, the Travis ahead. Kelsey thing. He didn't play his rookie year because he blew his knee out, but his first year playing was his second year, and he had 862 receiving yards and five touchdowns. So, like yeah, again, I guess I, we won't know that. Like a lot, yeah. I mean, he, he had knee surgery. I think early in the season, pl- appeared in one game, but started none and barely and played none, and then was out for the year. So it was like, I just I'm not, and again, I'm not. I would be taking Mayer okay with him not doing that much in his first year because I think there's more than a one-year window right now. But I think Mayer would contribute his first year. He'd certainly be good on special teams at times and as a rotational player tight end, an improved run blocker over Juwan Johnson, who again is, let's remember, he's a converted receiver. And then you have maybe him blossom in year two. You know, Troutman, look, I really thought Adam Troutman was going to turn into a great receiver. I think a lot of Saints fans did, and it didn't work out, but I... Yeah, see, I'm not ready to pass tense on him because one, uh. for several reasons. One, COVID. Two, look at the offenses he's played on. Awful offenses. They've been injured. They've had issues at quarterback. 
They've been in transition. He he was not in a good offensive situation any of his first three seasons. N- not in any of them. So, and I don't think he did much wrong last year. Now, was he great? No, but the offense was not good. I, I just, I just not way. I'm not ready to talk about him in the past tense yet. Again, if they pick Mayor, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not anti tight end. I love the tight end position. I just, I'm just. And, you know, a lot of this may have to do with is this Dennis Allen on the hot seat thing more of an angry fan thing than it is reality? Like, I wonder how much he thinks he's on the hot seat. You know, the, the the outside perception is this could be his last year by a lot of people. But that doesn't mean that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, that's true, and and that's you know you, you hear that conversation with teams that that are trading away draft picks. Like, are are we developing this team for us, or are we developing this team for the next GM that comes in or the next head coach that right. comes in? So that 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 very well may play a factor. But again, we will not know that until it happens. A- a- absolutely. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, foot. Good morning, sir. How you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing better. Astros had a, a nice win last night. Luis Garcia pitched fantastic. So, uh, you know, that's good. Uh, got, get to enjoy it for two days because they're off today and then uh, go to Atlanta and hope hope I can get at least a win. Yeah, them Braves are looking good early on, huh? Yeah, but Raymond's they're tricky. Uh, they scored zero they runs yesterday. I don't know why. It, it, you, you can't. I'm getting to where I can't trust those people. They're too tricky. You, you know what you forgot to say as well? Hmm. It's, it's a hammock season, man. You're forgetting to see that, man. I have a oh, no, it's a hammock season. I, uh, you know, everybody's panicking. I, the, the losses haven't hurt that bad. I, I'm fine. Okay. okay. Uh, now, did I hear you right that uh, you said that you're against uh, drafting tight ends in the first round? Yeah, I, I think it's just, I don't know. Right now, I'm not feeling real patient. Okay, this so is not a hammock ask, season for the Saints, so I'm, I'm not into patience right now. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay, I know we we yet to have this year's draft, but next year's draft, you wouldn't draft Brock Bowers out in the first round. I think that's a that that's a once in a lifetime talent. Well, uh, he, talent he, he, do, he does mean, seem really good. I I I I agree. I mean, I've been I've been high on this guy since. I mean, he played Bama a few uh, a couple years ago. In the national championship, that, that, I mean, he's like a wide receiver in a tight end body. Right. You know? I mean, he's, he's he's an athlete, man. But but you he's know? gonna I mean, go. He's gonna go much higher than what Mayer is gonna go, though. Yeah. I don't right. want any part of picking him because I don't want to be drafted in that spot. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. You always gotta look at that. Okay. That's all I had for. Uh, all righty. I got one more question. Yes, sir. I got one more. Uh, okay. And I know you're a Golden Girls fan. You know the uh, the the Lakers, but answer this truthfully: Who do you see going further, the Knicks or the Lakers? Uh, if I had to guess right now, I'd say the Lakers. Okay, I just wanted to know that. You know, uh, uh, I've been wondering who who you thought was the better. But anyway, y'all have a go. It's a glorious day. The Golden Girls lost. Have a goal, and and I and I say that I really think there's a good chance they're going to both lose in the second round. Uh, but it but the re 
the re- and the Knicks are better than the Lakers, but the Knicks are in the tougher conference than the Lakers. I'm not sure either one of them's getting to the second round. Well, I, and that's possible. Uh, the Lakers, you know, I think it's possible everyone is blowing up. Last night's loss was a bad loss. Like, it was there to be had, and they blew it. I get that. But they blew their chance to have, like, a sweep. But they didn't blow their chance to win the series. I mean, yeah, and when you're older like that, you have a couple older players and injured players like them, it's important to save and get a sweep. And and the Grizzlies are a younger team. And so the longer it goes, the, I get the idea that maybe it's an, it's advantageous to them. But uh, I think some people are, are panicking a little bit too much about blowing that game. You, you you still were a road team that got a split, so theoretically you, you've gotten home field advantage or home court advantage. So I don't know that it's awful, but um, no, I, I think – I don't think – I don't think either team's getting past the next round, but I think the Lakers have a better chance just because they're in a weaker conference. I mean, it's just the way it is. By the way – I've been I've been wondering this and 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 I haven't verbalized it. Like, why did the Bucks Bucks have a blue court? Is any can anybody figure that out? Is that a political thing? Like, why did the Bucks have a blue court? Well, I was watching the highlights and I'm like, and I've thought about that before. You have so, any idea why that yes. is? Um, the it's it's an interesting concept. Essentially. That was an alternate court that was brought um, for, I don't know, just a, an alternate thing where, you know, they these teams get uniforms that don't make any sense. And the court was brought in, but it seems like the main court has been unavailable. There was some damage to it, so they've been using the blue court exclusively because they're still trying to repair their, like, regular court that has their colors. Cause I like the 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 mid court thing kind of looks cool, but I'm like, why is it blue? Like that's not that it can't be that difficult to change. It looks stupid. Your home court is a totally different color than your colors. Yeah, yeah. So their actual court, they're working on repairing it, but um, they are they are still trying to fix. It says they're gonna they announced that they were gonna play or someone announced they were gonna play game one and two on the blue court, and then if everything went well, the green court would be back after that. So yeah. it's on Look, the injured list. Looks looks way better. That that, that other court looks awful. But uh, they scored 138 points. <laughs> I'll be honest, last night. That's kind of funny. Um, all right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us our good friend, Mr. Craig Melanson. How are you, sir? I am doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day. Let me guess. The last 48 hours have been pretty good for you. It has been absolutely awesome. So, um, I, I'm assuming, uh, were, were you in Baton Rouge or Lafayette on, on Tuesday? 
I was in Lafayette. I decided to watch the game from uh, home. Had some friends come over, and that way I could watch softball and baseball at the same time. Very, um, both pretty unique games, good games, but kind of, kind of, the softball was kind of scary for a while there. Yeah, it made you kind of nervous. Uh, I think Southeastern's a, a, a good team, a very good Southland team, and I think if they were in the Sun Belt uh, every year, I think they would would be even a better team. So. Uh, nice scrappy team there. All right. So what do you take from, obviously, we talked about it quite a bit yesterday, uh, the day after the Cajuns upset, and, uh, and, and, you know, I've written a column at theadvocate.com about it, about, like, the it obviously is a great opportunity, but there's still tons of work to be done. So kind of how do you view all that? Well, you know, Going an extra day into it, two days out now. I think it's it's you, you have to look forward now. It's just one day. I know that's coach speak, but at the same time, you know that victory is not going to get you into the NCAA tournament. You got to take care of your business now. I, 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 absolutely. All right. So it looks like that Cooper Rawls is going to be. The um, you know, start game one in Virginia tomorrow. At least that's what's been pretty, pretty. You know, he hasn't a hundred percent said it, but he's basically said that. And he threw, I think, twenty three pitches in the one inning uh, on Tuesday. So, and he had said on Monday that you know it was he would be available, and he threw he threw, but it was just one inning and. Um, I think that start, if especially if it's Cooper tomorrow, is very significant because I think that's one of the keys to doing what they have to do from here on out. They have got to start winning some game ones of series. Uh, I agree totally. I think with Cooper pitching on Tuesday night, though, I think that was kind of a what 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 the starting pitchers do a bullpen day, and it's about essentially they pitch an inning or two. Uh, against themselves. So a uh, little different stress level, though, playing in Baton Rouge. And if you look at all of Cooper's home runs that he's given up, they've been really non-stressed home runs. The team has had a lead, and he's been told, just go out there and pitch, throw strikes, get us out of here. And that's what he did on uh, Tuesday night. Now, how does he recover? How quickly does he recover to pitch on Friday night? Um, I, I think even if he goes five innings, I think the, the Cajuns will be all right if it's the same Cooper Rawls. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. All right, how important? The other thing I, I, I've, how important do you think it is that we see the last year's version of course in Rockefort, not the this year's version of course in Rockefort from here on out? If the Cajuns are going to say, you know, because. Try to win at least three out of six in, in in the two series against Coastal and Southern Miss, and and win the series against Texas State. If they're going to do all of that, and, and hopefully finish in the top three in the league, uh, how important is getting last year's course version of Carson from here on out? Do you think? I think it's important, but um, if he can. He, he seems to be improving along with Marshock and Bayon at times. I think all three of them are really key because that way you don't have any holes in your line. And getting the barge back is, is, is a huge, would be a huge step. 
But at the same time, you got John Taylor that's playing great shortstop right now. And who do you take out of there? Um, but as far as Carson goes, I, I think he's more comfortable in center field, playing center field uh, when he hits. So I would leave him in center field. But I understand that you got to move guys around because you want to get that hot bat in the game. Connor Higgs, um, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So it's obviously the coaches know their personnel way better than we do. I like his approaches at the plate. Um, when he came in and um, and played some left field, a couple of the fly balls he caught were a little looking a little iffy, and and I say, well, maybe that's why he doesn't he's not getting more starts. But I thought he did fine, and in, in in you know he did a better job with fly balls than LSU's left fielder did on 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 Tuesday. So. Why do you think Connor Higgs is going to start getting more starts? And if not, why do you think that could be? Well, I think two things. You touched on it. One, I think he's still a little awkward in, in on the defensive side. And I think a lot of that is he's still a young man. I think he's still growing into his body. He's like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and only 190. I mean, I, I would I would love to see 190, and I'm only six foot, you know. But – uh and the other part is his batting average when he starts. This was by far his best game when he he started a game. I think he was batting like 109 when he had started in, in 350 or 400 when he came in off the bench. So I think that might have had something to do with it. But it's really hard at this point, I think, uh, to sit somebody like Vayon. You're not going to sit Hood, um, and you're not going to sit Rockerford. So where... I think it's just a numbers game, quite honestly. I just think he – I don't know, man. I, 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 I want to see more at-bats out of him. I, I really uh, like him at the plate. I, I agree. It's, it's, I just think, again, it's a numbers game where they're – I think Coach has so much confidence in Vayon, and I think as, as, as we come down the stretch, there's going to be more stress there, and I think you want that senior leadership in the lineup. You know, obviously the other thing, and, and Coach is not, you know, I get it. I mean, he you could just tell he brings him up all the time. He cannot wait to have Dylan Toit back. The problem that, that I have is you just never know when a guy comes back from injury, are they going to be able to pick, the, pick off right where they left off? I mean, you know, because he's back physically doesn't mean he's back to where Dylan Toit would be at this point in the year if – he hadn't gotten injured. That's the scary part. And, and you saw that uh, back in Dylan Moore's last year, uh, coming back from an injury. He wasn't the same player. Um, but to Toy, uh, you see him in the bullpen. He's got the right attitude. He's doing the right things. Uh, my hope is that when he does come back, that it's for an inning or a situational out, something like that. To where you're, even though he's back, like you said, uh, throwing a baseball 90 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour is, is quite different than uh, standing 50 feet away and just playing catch. And I know it looks like Jake Hammond uh, is not going to be in the start rotation, at least for the foreseeable future. But that doesn't mean he can't go back to the back to the bullpen role and be, you know, if they get Toit back and if Hammond can be effective out of the pen like he was. Uh, at the end of last season, it, you know, you really like 
you know, you can see where this team could be that team that we thought it could be in the next two or three weeks if DeBarge comes I, back. Yes, and I think Hammond does give you that option, uh, another arm, and I think he does fit that role better. Even though last year uh, Brandon Talley was the Friday night starter, speaking to him, he was much more comfortable in the role of the bullpen. I, I think it's an honor for those guys to be starting on Friday night but they want to help their team win, and I think that's what Jake can do is come out and throw strikes for an inning or two or longer now that he's been a starter. So you've got maybe longer middle relief, and, and you don't feel like you have to leave your starting pitcher in a bad situation. I agree. So, again, a great opportunity because of the RPI help, and, and it puts him in a good frame of mind. But if those things happen – you know, it could be a fun finish for this season if those things that we just detailed happen. You know, you've got six games over the next uh, 10 days or nine days, whatever it is, and it's just uh, this team can become either scary good or looking for looking to, to Montgomery to make, make the NCAA tournament. Yes, you know, uh, it's, at a crossroads, it, it's no rough. question. Yes. I think these next six games, uh, eight games, I'm sorry, eight games are, are very key. Even even the midweek games that we have coming coming in next week, those are not highly regarded teams, but at the same time, you've got to take care of your business. Absolutely. All right, sir, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Bye. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. 7060111. If you would like to get in, got a few minutes here to get in. Um, if you would like to talk Cajun baseball, we did a lot of that yesterday, um, but certainly still lots to discuss there. I I think Dawson and I kind of agree. I, I, I'd like to see, I understand that the difference in um, his batting average when he started earlier at times this year, but I still look at that as kind of a small sample size. And I think that it is, um, I, I think it's time to see, let him play a whole series as a starter and see what happens. And if it doesn't happen, then, and, 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 you know, it, I know defense has a lot to do with it. Uh, styles of pitchers, all of that play into it. I get it, but I don't know. He's kind of intriguing to me right now, so it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out uh, moving forward. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, hey, a week out. Yes, sir. So you don't want a tight end in the first round. How would you feel if they got one at 40? 
uh, I'd be okay. I, I, I'd be, I'd be fine with it. Again, if, if they're really high, I'd be okay with it. Because I, I personally think Kincaid's your best option, but he's going to be gone. Myers a possibility of being there, and he's ranked right around 28, 29 on most boards. So he'll be. That would be a good pick where they pick. But you got Laporta from Iowa, and you got Musgrave from Oregon State who would both be good picks at 40. And then Darnell Washington, the wild card, the kid from Georgia, he's a beast, dude. He's like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he's a man. And his ranking's like 69. So we got the 70 a pick. In a perfect world, he falls to the third round. I just don't see that happening. But there's it's, it's a six or seven deep tight end class as far as first three-round value. So they could easily wait on a tight end. I'm still hopeful Branch falls to us. Um, some days I feel optimistic. Some days I feel like we ain't got a shot. But uh, then you take a kid like Mozzie Smith in the second round, so you get your safety and your tackle, and then you can either go running back or tight end with that third round. Pick. Well, I'd but, be I'd be ecstatic if they did that. Now, some people of late, like you saw a lot of I don't know if it's Mozzie Mazie, however he pronounces his name. You saw a lot of him early in the in the in the mock draft. Uh, stretch and, and in the middle, he started to. You saw more in him in the second round. Lately, I've seen more first round projections from him. So I don't know if it's a combine thing or an interview process thing or whatever. The problem with Kincaid is he has an injury history. I mean, the last thing I need is to draft an injury prone tight end. Oh, if Kincaid's there at 29, you got to pick him, Kevin. Oh, He's no. the top 15 player. Uh, I, I just don't. I think Green Bay's going to take. I just don't think he's going to fall. But uh, Mayors, I've seen some teams picking them. You know, two or three picks ahead of us. You got San Diego mocking them. You got or, or is it what Los Angeles now? You got Cincinnati mocking them. So oh, I, but, but I don't. I don't think the Bengals are going to pick one. I would worry about the Lions. Yeah, but look, there's there's. But to me, the wild card in the first round is Gibbs, the running back out of Alabama. And I know nobody wants the first-round running back, but, I mean, when you're getting compared to Alvin Kamara, you got to at least pay attention. And everybody's so focused on Bijan Robinson that a kid like Gibbs could fall, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Saints spent the 29th pick on him. I wouldn't That's be shocked, but I also, I also kind of think the Bengals might take him. That would be such a – man, could you imagine that offense – uh, I kind of think the that. Bengals are going to, uh, you know, right now I'm strongly considering, because, you know, a lot of people were saying tight end, but like we said yesterday, it fell under my radar too. I I, I, I don't know how I missed it, but I, I didn't realize Irv Smith was there. I, I don't know somehow I missed that when that happened a couple of weeks ago. But, no, I don't think they're going to pick a tight end. Uh, I think safety's a possibility, but I think the safety's going to be gone by the time they pick. I really, I'm worried Jacksonville's going to take the safety, and then uh, I kind of think they could pick that running back right there. Yeah, it's, uh, that offense would be scary if you plug in because uh, they lost Perrine or P. Perrine. They, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, um, uh, their other running backs in the well, it's Mixon, but there's some talk. Mixon might be cut because if he doesn't want to pay cut, so right. they they have so potential the need there. Anyway, so again. Uh, uh, I've seen. I could see them trading up to get Robinson. I've seen a few mocks like that, and I'm like, man, that offense could be scary if you plug in a running back. But uh, Philadelphia, if they get Bijan on at ten, that offense is going to be scary, and that's a perfect fit because they paid the quarterback so much money. You get a, a, a 
probably the best running back in the last four or five years to come out, and you get to pay him a rookie salary for five years. That's that's frightening, and that's going to bum me because that's our pick. But again, at twenty nine, I'm uh, the big question is: Do we trade up? Do they have the patience to stay put? Because there's going to be some pretty good players at twenty nine, and I I agree with y'all. I think twenty nine and forty are basically the same player. You could throw them like dice and take two guys and flip-flop them, and they could actually be the same. The guy you get at 29 could be there at 40, and the guy you get at 40 could be picked at 29. So um, uh, they've done a great job, as usual, of making it to where we have no clue because they fill all their holes Uh, in free agency. And I think the biggest hole still is defensive tackles. All right, so, I, I, Joey, I got to go. We're at the top. Thank you for the call. Love this time, bro. It's yes, been a fun week. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnote, Kevin Foot on the game, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. We're going to, typically we don't start hours with a guest, but we have an old friend on uh, up, and it is a week from the NFL draft, so we wanted to catch up, catch up with our good friend Luke Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Kevin. How you doing, man? You know, I, I think I'm more confused than I was about a month ago in trying to put together a mock draft. So let me start with this: Are you, you know, just from a Saints perspective, especially? It's all a guessing game. It's all speculation. We know that. But from all your years, are you about the same confused, a little less or a little more um, comfortable with what you think is going to happen a week out this year? Um, I mean, I think after covering this team and and covering the drafts it's it's put together for the last, I guess this is going to be my sixth draft that I'm covering. Um I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what they look for, a uh, pretty good idea of what they value. Um, and, yeah, I think I'm about as as comfortable as, as I could be kind of looking at a group of prospects uh, as somebody could be when the team they cover is picking number 29. You know, I mean, there's just so many variables that go into that. But, um, you know, I I know what they like and I know what they value. And, um, and that's that's. The, the benefit of covering a team where they have the same decision makers in place for a long time. All right. So that leads me to my next question that there's a, I've heard for a last couple of weeks, there's a thought process out there and I don't know if it's true. That's why I, I want to see what you think of it with, with the new defensive line coach. You know, my theory on why the Saints have busted a couple times in the first round is because they take combine guys because of this whole Bill Parcells mentality of you got to have, you know, the biggest, fastest, stronger, and all that kind of guy uh, in the first round instead of taking football players in the first round. And they take football players after that. But do you do you buy this thought process that would grant them as a new defensive coordinator that edge guys that are smaller like the Nolan Smiths and the Will McDonalds 
that have never been in play, even before this current regime took over for the Saints, because they've always had Cameron Jordan-type defensive ends, that those guys are now in play now, or do you not buy that that philosophy has changed? No, no, it hasn't changed. Um, it would be astonished if they took uh, if they took somebody like Nolan Smith or Will McDonald. Um, it's just, yeah, it, I don't think that was a Ryan Nielsen philosophy. I think that's a Jeff Ireland philosophy. I think that's a Dennis Allen philosophy. Um, you know, Dennis Allen even said it at uh, at owners' meetings. He said, "This is a big man's game." You know, so I, I just it, it would it would really really surprise me if if they just uh, they completely, you know, flip their scheme because they they you know, there's a lot of these guys coming out now. Um, and I think you know, especially if you look at this class, um, I think this class is loaded with edge guys who are same kind of guys. You know, six four, six five, two sixty, two seventy. Um, you know, guys with big wingspans, which is what they always look for. They want long guys with defensive line. Um, so, you know, I think there's there's a lot more of those guys to choose from in this class than there are at Nolan Smith and the Will McDonald. And I, I just don't think that, um, I don't think that we're going to see a change in that philosophy while Dennis Allen is the coach here. So, with that said, I, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, there's all kind of positions. Well, I disagree because let me read off a list of, of positions and you tell me if any of these positions you wouldn't be at least either go from very surprised to shock if the Saints pick in the first round. Cornerback, offensive tackle, quarterback, kicker, punter, wide receiver, center, linebacker. Do you think there's really any chance that they're going to pick any of those positions in the first round? Um, the only the only way there's a chance is if somebody's there who they're not expecting to be there, right? Like. You know, if if for whatever reason, like Jackson Smith and Jigba is there, you know, twenty nine or even like you know, twenty five or twenty six, right? It's somewhere where it's, a, it's not that hard to move up a couple picks in the first round. Um, you know, and they really, really like them. You know, they they have the history with Ohio State guys. They think you could be a dynamic element to their offense, maybe, right? But you know, I would be I would be a little bit surprised. I, you know, if if they went with one of those positions, I, I mean, if they went kicker, I think I, you know, my head might fall off. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think they are they put themselves in a position where they they can draft you know, the best player available, but I, I still think it's going to be at a position that that most helps them, right? I, I mean, they'll have like a like a cloud of players who they they can choose from, and if they have similar grades, it's going to be a, a, at a position where where they can use more help. You know, whether that's defensive end, um, you know, maybe tight end, um, you know, it maybe even, um, you know, I, I wouldn't put it against them to, to draft a like an interior offensive lineman if they really like somebody like Osiris Torrance, right? Um, even though he's he's not going to be a starter this year, I think there's there's you know potential openings on that line next year, and you know somebody they could they could bring in as a sixth offensive lineman, let them develop, and, and go from there. Okay, um, no, so, but, but, but since you said that, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, what do you, what do you think the the situation with Pete is for this year and next year? Like, what what, what do you where do you think they are with him? I think they're they're counting on him being their starting left guard, and they'll see where things go next year. Yeah, I I, I think the fact of the matter is that that Pete is is a 
solid starting offensive lineman when he's healthy, but he has not been healthy, right? And, and you know, people might get on me for that because I, there's a lot of people who have this just hatred for Hunter's Pete for whatever reason. You know, he, he ends up popping up at like the worst possible moment where he's just like looking back at the quarterback right before he's about to suffer a season-ending injury. Um, but for the most part, he's, he's a pretty solid offensive lineman. But, but he, he just hasn't been healthy. So, like, I, you know, it would not surprise me if, if he plays this year, he gets hurt, misses a couple games, and they decide to, to go a different direction next year. Um, yeah, I think that's just kind of the vibe we got after they kind of reworked his contract. Since we're there, you know, you mentioned Osiris Torrance, and I was going to – do you – is there anybody else? I mean, I just don't see – like, I don't – look, they love offensive tackle and pick, drafting offensive tackles in the first round has been very successful for the history of this franchise going back a long way. But I don't see them picking an offensive – tackle in the first round so other than Osiris Torrance do, is it do you see another offensive lineman that they might take there no no not not with 29 or 40 I, I think Tor, it's either Torrance or they'd wait until the middle rounds I, I just think there's there's not really um there's not really a lot of a lot of guys in this class who I think you'd say yes they're uh yet they're somebody that we can plug in and, and, and count on them for the next 10 years I think you could probably count on Osiris Torrance to be a pretty good player. I think his, his floor is pretty high. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think you're looking at you know, maybe after those, after after Torrance, like maybe Steve Avila, um, maybe you know, Anthony Bradford from LSU. But I, I think those guys are both like you know, probably third round guys. And and, and I, I think that's that's kind of what guard is historically. There's not a lot of guys that you pick in the first round of that position. It's just not. It's not a super valuable position. You know, those those are players that kind of they get like running back contracts, right? Like the the best the best guards in the NFL make like fourteen fifteen million dollars a year. Right? There's a couple of them that are that are up in the eighteen to twenty range, but um, you know, typically those those guys you, know, you can find them in the middle round. And yet, um, and yet, the when... Saints have, have drafted guys in the first round, but I, I think you know they're not in that position right now where they. They kind of feel like they have to make a, uh, they have to pull the trigger there. No, and, and I agree. And yet, when the Saints were at their best offensively, they had two elite guards. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it, no, it, I mean, it's not it's yeah. not a not important yeah. position, right? Right, but but then you you also look at those two elite guards, and you know, they were they were mid round draft picks, right? Right, I, I, correct. You know, Jari was. I can't remember where they picked him. Maybe in the third round or something like that. Yeah, third or fourth. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just think that's that is a position where I think you can find really good players, really good value in the middle of the draft. Right. All right. Next. Next foundational question, and we'll take a timeout. Then we'll talk about more individual players and positions. There's a perception out there. You mentioned the Andrews Pete perception. There's a perception out there that Dennis Allen's head that this is he's facing a season where if he doesn't get it done, he's going to get fired. Do you, I, you know, because people outside the team's headquarters think that doesn't mean they're thinking that inside. Do you think that thought is even in his mind right now in terms of are we drafting for someone else or are we drafting? with patience in mind going into this draft? Well, you know, I think just from a, from a human level, it'd be, it'd be hard for me to imagine that, that Dennis, I, I mean, look, I think he feels about as secure as he, as he can, right? I think he knows the organization trusts in him, but at, at the same time, 
you know his his first his first go round as a head coach was was a pretty big failure with the Raiders, and his first season in in New Orleans as a head coach didn't go so well. So like you know I I imagine he probably feels the pressure, right? I it, it's just as a human being, you know, like he's never had a winning season as a head coach. So yeah, like I, I think he feels he feels pressure to get this right and to get it turned around right now. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that's I think that's you know, that's just me thinking about how I would feel about it as as a human being, and I, I think it's less from you know, what the organization is telling him. Yeah, I think they they have faith in him. I think they they are trusting their their process and the, the people they have in place to get it done. Um, now, you know, obviously things change if if. <laughs> You know, they get off to another bad start, especially considering the uh, the investments they made in the roster this offseason. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't think that they'd they'd you know pass on a guy because he might need some development, right? I, I think that they're still going to stick with their their usual philosophy because um, you know it's had a lot of success in the past. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, uh, we will talk about more. Sp- position-specific individual players and see what Luke thinks about them. We'll be back. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We're speaking with Luke Johnson of the Advocate NOLA.com. All right, so in terms of the positions that we feel like could be on the table for them to pick, how much of the defensive, the possibility of picking a defensive end is based on do what do they really have hope that Peyton Turner can still be a star or not? Um, yeah, I think that's that's a part of the equation. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I think a larger part of it is Cam Jordan's going to be thirty-four by the time the season starts. Carl Granderson, uh, you know, hasn't had a ton of opportunity as like the guy opposite him. Um, you know, they still have no idea what Peyton Turner is because he's never been healthy. Um, yeah, I think like that group could like if everything goes right, like it could be pretty solid. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a lot more opportunity for that to you know, potentially go sideways this year, and it's so important to what they do defensively. Um, you know, getting after the passer and stopping the run on the edges, setting setting the edges with their big defensive ends, that I, I just don't think they can ignore it. And I think if there's somebody that they really, really like there at you know, 29 or 40, I, I think they should probably make a move. Um, you know, it's it's just it's one of those positions where it could be fine, but it could it could be really bad. And I think they need to brace themselves if it, you know in the event that that things don't go according to plan. All right, so. In your mind, would you put defensive tackle first or defensive end first? Priority. Um, yeah, I think they're honestly they're even. I think it depends on who's available. 
right? Like if, if Brian Brzee, the, the Clemson defensive tackle is there, I'd, I'd, I'd probably consider him taking him first. You know, but if somebody, you know, if somebody falls, like, you know, the, the two guys that you're thinking of are uh, Lucas Van Ness from Iowa and Miles Murphy from Clemson. Um, the two guys who could both potentially be top 15 picks or they could potentially be there at the back end of the first round. If one of those guys is there, then, then take those one of those guys. Um, but, you know, <laughs> maybe B. John Robinson is there. And I wouldn't put running back above defensive tackle or defensive end in terms of, like, the hierarchy of needs. But you know, that's potentially a special player. Um, and you just never know with, with the way the NFL is valuing running backs right now if it may be one of the top five players in the draft, regardless of position. He might be there at 29. Um, you know, maybe they make a move for, for somebody like that. Um, you know, I, I just think they've put themselves in a position where they're not, they don't have to be handcuffed by needing to draft a specific position in a specific spot. Um, there, are, there are positions that are more pressing needs than others, but you know, I think they, they can you know, make a move for a player who could be really special for them. Van Ness and Murphy, like if you look at like, I don't know, 20 mock drafts, like some of them have them, a lot of people have them in the top 10 and some of them have them in the mid 20s. Yeah. Like they're all over the yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, I think this is you know, this draft is kind of similar to other ones recently, where where there's a pretty clear dividing line between like the top end talent and everybody else, right? And um, and yeah, I think that leads to some unpredictability. I think there could be some players available there at 29 who you know people just aren't expecting, you know, because they've seen them go you know, 10th or 12th or you know, 16th overall in these mock drafts. Um, it, it, there's, there's, it all just depends on, on how people are valuing certain positions. It depends on you know, how desperate teams get for quarterbacks. I, I mean, for all we know, there might be five quarterbacks gone by the time the Saints make a pick, right? And that pushes other guys down the line. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that there's so much unpredictability that that you know, the Saints could have a lot of a lot of really good options there at 29 or. You know, it goes exactly like all these mock drafts are saying, and and they get there, and and they're like, there's only, you know, one or two guys that we feel comfortable taking in this spot. I just think there's there's so many different ways this, this can go when you're picking that way. All right, I've been practicing on his name, Adi Tamawa Adabare. Like, it, what do you think of him? Does he fit what your perception is that the kind of defensive lineman that the Saints want? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he's not as as tall. There's other Saints defensive lineman. I think he only measured six two at the combine, but he's really long. Um, so he's got he's got you know, these big arms. Like I think he had like an eighty two inch wingspan or eighty three inch wingspan, um, which kind of makes up for that. Um, you know, he's two hundred and eighty pounds. He ran a four four nine at the forty uh, at the forty. You know, it, it's insane. Um, and then on top of that, you look at you know, he's a team captain at Northwestern, um, and yeah, he's a pretty productive player there. I, I just think there's there's a lot of traits that the Saints typically value that he brings to the table. The only thing that the only thing that, that kind of throws me on him is that he doesn't really have a, a clear projection as to what position he'd be. Right. Um, you know, as some people kind of view him as a like a three technique defensive tackle. Um, others view him as as you know like a like a four three defensive end. Um, 
you know, and maybe the Saints like that. You know, maybe they they get somebody they they know they can they can kind of plug in there as like a like an interior rusher on you know in their their nickel defense um, on third down, you know, and give them a little extra juice on that. Yeah, that at that stage of things. But you know, if they're looking for just uh, like a prototype four-three defensive end, maybe he doesn't fit what they want there. I don't know. He's he's got a lot of stuff the Saints like, but there there are a few questions about him. Now, I have grown to. I, I have. I don't know. I just feel like I have a bad feeling the Clemson guys, defensive guys, uh, have bush written all over him. You don't seem to agree with me on that. Like Brzee's injury history just concerns me. I. You're as high on those guys as a lot of people are. It seems like. Yeah, and, and you know, with Brzee specifically, he had the ACL in his sophomore year, and then last year, last year was less an injury, and it was like, it was like some weird like illness or like a kidney infection, something like that. Um, and you know, he played in a lot of games, but he's on like kind of like a snap count limit, um, like kind of like a pitch count. So. The, the ACL thing, I think, is, is more concerning than, than whatever he was dealing with last year. But, you know, he, he looked completely healthy and fine at the Combine, uh, tested really, really well there. You know, we always talk about the relative athletic score thing. He, he had like a 9.6, which is, you know, that's like the trait the Saints look for. Um, and he's such a, just a big, explosive player. I, I, you know, I, I think I would rather bet on on him being that then then get too worried about what he was dealing with last year especially you know you had the, the kind of personal tragedy last year this little sister dying of cancer um it was a tough year for him um but i i, I think I'm, I'm not too worried about him health-wise i, I do think though that you know it, it's it's not a bad idea to look at look at some of the other defensive players who've come from that program and be like well they haven't really looked up to expectations yeah, yeah I, I just have a bad real. feeling. I, I just that's, that's, that's I, I don't real, want those. Guys. Like like a lot of you know a lot of players from the program have, have been you know, big name players coming out, and not a lot of really done much. You know, it, like uh, what was like Isaiah Simmons. You know, was a huge draft prospect a couple years ago, and he's like hasn't really found a groove in, in Arizona. And you know, like Cleveland Farrell was a bus. He's a top yes. five pick. So you know. It, there's there's definitely some concern with that, um, but I think you got to look at everybody individually. All, all right, a couple more positions I want to get to. If Brian Branch is there, I you know we've been talking a lot about him on the show for the last week and a half or so. The more I think about it, when you look at Marcus May's situation, uh, when you look, they have the Saints have a lot of safeties, but I don't know how many starting safeties they have. And other than the the weird character stuff, it seems like he could bring a lot of versatility that Chauncey Garner Johnson brought. I don't know if he'll be there because I think Jacksonville and a couple other people might take him ahead of the Saints. But don't you think safety is a very underrated need position? Like he could be like PJ Williams on steroids for the Saints in that with his versatility. I, I do think safety is kind of a sneaky need for the Saints, especially if you can. And think about somebody like a kind of a nickel safety like CJ DJ played, um, but I would be I would be a little surprised if it was Branch uh, just just because his testing numbers aren't that great. I, I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to make too big a deal out of the the, the relative athletic score thing. I, the Saints don't use it specifically in their building, but at the same time, you look at the last three drafts. 
12 out of the 15 guys they drafted had a score above eight. Yeah, the other two had like a score at like 7.7. And the only guy who didn't fit that criteria didn't test, right? And that was Tommy Stevens, who they drafted as an athletic quarterback. So I just, Brian Branch's numbers just don't match. I think his RAS is like five point something. And I just think that that probably his 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 athletic scores probably don't match what the Saints are looking for, especially with a like a first round pick. Um, so I, I'd just be hesitant to say he'd be a guy. I think there are other there are other guys like uh, Quan Martin from Illinois. Um, you know, really, really great athletic test, testing numbers. He's the guy who kind of profiles as like a like a nickel safety. You know, somebody who can kind of defend in the slot, can defend tight ends. He's not as big as Branches, but um, I think he runs better. Um, I think he's a little bit more explosive player. Um, you know, maybe somebody like him potentially in, in like the third round. Um, I, I just it, Branch is one that I'm, I'm just kind of hesitant to say would be a fit for what the Saints are looking for. All right, so if the Saints trade up, which they seem to do all the time, um, is it a running back they would trade up for, tight end, or what else? And what do you think of those two positions as first-round positions for them in their mind? Well, running back, I think the only way to go running back in the first round is if it's um, uh, Robinson. John Robinson. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he's the only one. Um, I really, really like Jameer Gibbs. I think he's kind of an Alvin Kamara clone. Um, but I, I think he would make more sense in the second round for me. Um, and, you know, I think it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him trade up, you know, from the third round into the back end of the second round if, if you know, somebody is falling either they're not expecting to fall. But I, I think this is, this is a pretty deep running back draft. I think there's going to be a lot of guys available in the third, fourth round. Um, who would kind of fit their needs? Um, so you know, only only if it's Bijan Robinson. And if he does fall, though, I, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they traded up for him because you know you look at some of the teams in front of them that you know Cowboys w- would be a good spot for him. I think the Bills would be a good spot for him. And those are two teams who are picking like, yeah, two and three picks in front of the Saints and the Bengals. So, yeah, and the Bengals too. So I, I mean, I, you know, I think it wouldn't surprise me if. You know, if they package their their first and their third to move up to like twenty four, twenty five, and uh, and to take Bijan, um, tight end. Tight end. I think at tight end. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they took one in, in the first round, but I, I think I would be a little bit surprised if they traded up for one, just just because. I, I mean, I think this is this is a really really good tight end class, and when we're talking about those relative athletic scores. There's like ten of those guys with a score above nine, right? Like they're they're productive guys. Um, they're big, fast players. Um, you know, so I think there's gonna if they want to go that route, I think there's gonna be one they really really like there at 29. You know, whether that's you know, Dalton Kincaid or George's at Darnell Washington, I, I think really fits you know, the kind of player they're looking for. He's like a big, big like freak athlete. Um, who you know, would would really fit what they do when they want to go to those two tight end sets because they could flex Juwan Johnson out and use Darnell Washington as an inline tight end, um, and yeah, that'd be a pretty pretty scary set of, of skill guys if all the receivers are healthy. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's definitely a possibility with them at 
either 29 or 40, but I, I think I'd be surprised if they traded up for one, unless they really, 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 really like one and want to make sure they get in. All right, so I know it's, you know, we have another week to change minds, but if you were going to do one of these mock draft things, what, what, what's your best guess a week away? Um, my best guess, just based on who I think is going to be available, is, is that they're going to go D-line in round one. Um, whether that's uh, you know, somebody like Brzee or maybe Kalijah Kansi, they'd have to kind of get over their, their whole size prototype thing, but he's you know, potentially a really, really special player there and, and would give them some of that pass rushing juice from the inside they've been lacking. Um, or, you know, I, I think there's a lot of defensive ends who, who kind of fit what they're looking for. Like Keon White out of uh, Georgia Tech, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, I, I think is kind of an underrated player who I think would be a really, really, really good fit for that defense. Um, and then, you know, after that, I, man, I, I really want to see him add some explosiveness to this offense. Um, you know, whether that's like Jameer Gibbs in round two, um, I really like uh, Cedric Tillman out of Tennessee, uh, wide receiver, um, who I think, you know, gives them a little bit of an insurance policy in case Mike Thomas either does not return to, to form or, or if he leaves next year in free agency. Um, you know, one of those tight ends. I, I think there's just a lot of different ways they can go with this. Um, and I'm really, really excited for this draft next week. All righty, sir. We appreciate your time. As always, thank you very much. And uh, you've I don't know. You've changed. You've changed my mind on a few things. Potentially, we'll we'll have a lot to chew on. I appreciate it very much. No problem. We'll talk to you soon. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is footnotes live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have we're going from the NFL draft talk as we try to speculate and, and and crunch all the numbers and see how it works out to another kind of similar situation. Talking to our friend Mr. Tom about the Kentucky Derby. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Well, did I, we mentioned last week that this one last Derby prep race wouldn't have? Did it surprise you, or did it not have you know a lot of oomph like you expected? No, it was a $400,000 race, and the only horse in it that really had a chance to get in the Derby was Disarm, and he got his six points, and he got in the Derby. And that's basically it. That was all it was. So, so you think that, that horse is going to finish at the, near the bottom? Well, it's, he's a good horse, uh, but I'm not really, I'm not really confident uh, that Steve Asmussen will get his first derby victory with disarm. That's the diff. I don't think so. All right, so as you look at, at you know, all the derby prep, prep races done now, have you changed your mind on anything? Because, like, you know, me, I'm sitting here obsessing over the draft, and every week I kind of start I, I start looking at this guy or that guy, maybe this guy, maybe this guy. Have you been like that, or have you kind of stuck over the last two or three weeks kind of with the same one or two horses that you're high on? No, I'm kind of like you are. 
Uh, it's a pretty wide open race. I mean, Forte is, looks like the best horse. Okay. I mean, you have the same thing in the draft. Somebody looks like the first draft choice and sometimes it doesn't work that way, but Forte is the B horse in this race. I just want to make that clear that he is going to be the favorite and whether he wins or not, we'll see on the, uh, on the 6th of May. But, uh, I, a few things first, uh, Last year, Rich Strike was not in the Derby until Friday morning when D. Wayne Lucas scratched Ethereal Road. So we we can get into the Derby with somebody scratching and still win it, if you understand what I mean. Right. So I just want to make clear that Jace's Road and Skinner, both of these horses could get in, and both of them are good enough to win this. So that being said, let me get on to what, what we want to talk about this morning. Um, a few things. There are five or six horses that I believe can win the Derby. That's that I believe can win, and everybody else believes that too. And that's Forte, Tappet Trice, Angel of Empire, Practical Move, and King's Born, and Two Fills, and the Japanese horse Derma Sotogaki. He has a real big chance to win. I said this last week. Do not overlook the Japanese horses if you're handicapped in this race. And for those people that want real information, horseracingnation.com can give it to them. All right. So um, which one of those that hadn't gotten uh, as much kind of publicity as Forte are you really high on? Oh, that two fills, without a doubt. He's had the fastest buyer speed number. He's had one of the fastest time form numbers. He's run a race that any horse can win because he stays fairly close and he's got a good finishing kick to him. Most people who are handicapping think this horse will finish in the top three, maybe second for an exacta, but he also can win. And he's not going to get a whole lot of a uh, look at. He's twenty to one on the morning line. He'll probably end up something like twelve to one. But it it all depends on what Kings Barnes does and Dermasotagaki. Those are the two speed horses in this race. If Fletcher sends Kings Barn as fast as he can, with no hope of winning, his horse Forte will have a chance to win this race because he will stay close up you know one one horse might help the other but it'll help the closing horses and forte who stays in the pace can chase after now Tappet trice has won the bluegrass but he runs only one way he gets slowly out of the gate and he starts picking up speed he looks to me like he'll win a, a, a horse that could win the belmont better than the derby but I said the same thing of Rich Strike last year, and he won from way out of it. So watch Tappet Trice. He can do it. Angel of Empire is getting better and better every time he runs. There's a Brad Cox horse that won the Arkansas Derby. Practical Move won the Santa Anita Derby, but he only barely beat another Japanese horse who will not be in this called Mandarin Hero. And on the outside of them will be verifying who was very, very close in the bluegrass behind the winner, Angel of Empire, but I'm not really hit high on him. 
The horse that I'm looking at is what you're asking right now. I'm looking at the horse that ran second in the in Florida Derby called Mage, and his trainer, Gustavo Delgado, nobody knows anything about, but he's a real good trainer who's got a real good horse. I looked at this race over and over the past week, and this horse ran about another 200 yards than, well, he ran another 100 yards. He ran 100 yards more than the winner, uh, Forte, did. So Mays, who made a premature move, ran real wide all the way around, got to the lead, then got caught by Forte. I'm looking at him real hard right now. I got to tell you, I, I look at the, the name because I'm not an ex horse racing expert like you. I, I could see the name. Forte winning Angel of Empire and Practical Move. None of these other ones have a good name to be a Derby winner. <laughs> well, you know, every year you look and you say, oh, what is going to be? How about confidence game? Does that sound good? You know, every uh, time you come in and you look at a Derby horse and you look at the names, I understand what you're saying. But they don't have the kind of flashy names that you expect. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like Angel of Empire. I got to tell you, Angel I, I, I of like Empire, that. Let me tell you, he's a, he's an improving Brad Cox horse, and Brad Cox horse won by disqualification last year when they took down whatever two years ago when they took down media, media the Baffert horse. But this guy, he's got a he's he's a good trainer. That's all there is to it, and he's going to win a Derby one day, and this could well be it. He's got Verifying, who's also a nice horse. Who could win? What? But Pletcher's got two horses. Cox has got two horses. It's going to be interesting. And you, you asked me earlier if I'd made up my mind. No. By the time I come back in two weeks, I'm going to give you my top three horses. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, uh, all righty. Well, like uh, Mr. Tom just hinted, next week's going to be about all the NFL drafts. So we're going to well, take yeah, next week I off. you want to do anyway. And, yeah. And then the week after, we'll get back and we'll be real close we'll know post positions and all that so no, we'll be, everything will be yeah we'll, we'll, we'll be we'll be ready to talk about it in more detail we appreciate your time as always sir thank you thank you for thank you for having me this is footnotes on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros a recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss. Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to footnotes. All right. I, I still got a lot to unpack from our interview with Luke about the Saints draft. And and look, just because Luke says something doesn't make it so. I mean, we understand that. Luke understands that. But with the, the couple of the issues that he brought up that I was really anxious to ask him to get his input on, the truth of the matter is he's got on some of these, on one of these issues especially, he's got like two decades of a trend to support what he's saying. 
And that is that, in other words, to me, edge rusher is not even a position for the Saints. Like, we, we use that term, edge rusher. To my, in my mind, the Saints don't even have edge rushers in, in their draft mentality. They either have defensive ends who rush the passer off the edge technically, but they're defensive ends like, you know, Cam Jordan type people. They're not, you know, the Nolan Smiths and the Will McDonald type people. And so those are what I, in my mind, are kind of like edge rushers. And so um, if he's right about that, which, again, they've been, I say 20 years, you probably got to go back 30 years. Like the Saints don't ever drive little guys who come off the edge. I mean, you know, they've always done that had the big defensive end kind of guys. So if he's right about that, which is he probably is, um, then if you cross off guys like Nolan Smith and Will McDonald, that makes it a little more clear as far as what your options are. The other interesting thing is that he was high on Brazil. I just... You know, he brought up a good point um, that if you look at the recent history of Clemson defensive players in the first round, it's not a it's not a great. The results have not been great. Now, some people don't put a lot of stock in that. Uh, Clemson is not on that list for me as the Saints, but I don't know. It's not like the Saints have ever really gotten anything out of Clemson. I just have never crossed them off. Um, but but I think there's something to be said. Plus, again, he's missed a lot of games. Now, Luke dismissed some of that. But, I, I, I mean, right now, can you really afford to pick a guy who's missed that many games and has a recent history of missing a lot of games for whatever reason? I just... I don't know. I'm just not in the mood for that. Maybe they're going to be a whole lot more patient than me on that deal. The other very interesting thing that he said was we've been talking a lot about Brian Branch, and I'm a tight end and safety guy, and I understand those are not first-round positions, but I loved having a safety uh, guy who can be versatile like a Chauncey Garner-Johnson, and so I I would be for picking Branch, and Luke said that he agrees that safety is an underrated need position, but he doesn't like Branch's measurables because, again, you know, he's not the biggest, fastest, strongest guy in terms of he's not a combine guy, Branch. Branch is a football player. And so, again, the Saints have they, – they, they tend to lean towards – um, picking what I call combine guys, the guys that are the measurables are all there. And look, sometimes the, you have a football player who does have the measurables. I get that. But um, so if you cross out branch, let's just say if you buy what Luke is saying, and again, he, he, in most of this, he's got decades of a trend with the Saints to support it. So he's not, what he's saying is not out of the blue at all. It's like what should probably be said because. We were just questioning whether some things had maybe changed a little bit, um, but but to the Saints are not a change kind of franchise. So what Luke is saying makes sense. Um, you know, if you if you if you take out Branch, 
There's not another safety I don't think they'll pick in the first round. So if you can if he's what he's saying there is true, then you might as well just put safety on the on the other list. My point is, it's even more of a narrow focus than I was thinking going into this um, you know, interview and Luke. Because like I I rattle off a list of seven positions and he pretty much agreed that he don't he I don't see the Saints picking anybody in those positions. And basically, he said you might as well just add safety to that if what he's saying is right. So you're looking at a defensive end, a defensive tackle, maybe an offensive guard, but there's only one of them. So if Osiris Torrance is picked by the Cowboys or someone else above, right above the Saints, well, then you might have, then you can add offensive guard to that position they're not drafting. So you're down to running back and tight end, which are not first round pick p- positions. Or defensive end or defensive tackle. Like, there is nothing else. Like, it, it, this is it's just getting to be strange. It's like, there's the more you think about it, there's only a handful of guys that even make sense for the Saints at 29. When normally you think of 29 drafting, like you're going to have all these options, I just don't see a whole lot of options. Unless Luke is way off base and the Saints are going to do stuff to start going down directions that they've not gone down in decades, which is, you know, would be a risky way of viewing things, I think. Um, so if he's right about Brian Branch, I mean, I think your only look, unless Osiris Torrance is still available, and it's possible he'll be there, um, you might be looking at only three or four positions that the Saints even are even on the board when the Saints pick. It's just really getting weird. As we get closer and closer, we're a week away. All right. Appreciate the phone calls. Thank you um, for Luke and Mr. Tom and Craig coming on. Y'all have a nice day.